Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. We have a fantastic episode for you this week. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I had the honor of talking with Richard Stearns this week, president of World Vision. Rich has been leading World Vision for the past 20 years, and the kingdom work they have been accomplishing is absolutely incredible. Before coming to World Vision, Rich served as president of Parker Brothers Games and also as president of the Fine China and Crystal Company, Lennox. His leadership experience and wisdom truly is a gift to the church. Rich has written several books, including the best-selling The Whole in Our Gospel. Now, in this episode, Rich and I talk about the value and importance of a long-term view when it comes to helping communities in need. Rich shares some of the greatest leadership lessons he has learned, including three important insights about succession and stepping down from ministry leadership as he is preparing to retire from his presidency at World Vision later this year. Rich also encourages all of us to take up the Matthew 25 challenge. Now, I know you will love Rich's heart for the kingdom and for leading in a way that honors God. So please join me in my conversation with Richard Stearns. Rich, it's an honor to have you with us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Well, thanks, Jason. Great to be with you today. Now, you serve as president of World Vision U.S., and that is an organization that that likely— uh, the majority of our listeners um, are, are somewhat familiar with. But for those who may not know about the work of World Vision, can you just briefly share a bit about um, your, your heartbeat and what you guys do? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. And I think, you know, a lot of people think they know uh, about World Vision, but they, they don't know as much as they probably need to. We're, we're probably most known for our child sponsorship program, uh, certainly within the church. And what I always tell people is we are so much more than child sponsorship. And World Vision is a, a very large Christian organization. We, we have more than 40,000 full-time employees in about 100 countries around the world. So we're doing our work on a very large scale. We're, uh, most people are surprised to learn we're bigger than Save the Children, we're bigger than CARE, we're bigger than Oxfam. Uh, names that are very familiar to Americans. Right. And, of course, we're particularly proud because we're Christian. But you can characterize our work uh, by talking about relief and development. And most people understand emergency relief. It's uh, kind of like the emergency room of the world. And uh, a little bit like the world's firefighters, we rush into the, uh, the traumas in our world, whether it's a civil war or a refugee crisis or a famine or an earthquake, or a typhoon, or a hurricane, and we just try to help people that are in a desperate hour of need, uh, just demonstrating the love of Christ to them at that time, and World Vision's become one of the largest relief responders in the world, and uh, in fact, last year, we responded to more than 150 uh, humanitarian disasters, uh, some small, some large, uh, all over the world, uh, all very different. So, Emergency relief is a critical part of what we do. But then development. Most people don't know what development is. And basically our development work, we go into some of the poorest communities in the world, and we walk alongside those communities for 10, 15, or 20 years to try to help them address the causes of their poverty. Uh, Why are you poor? How can we help you and your community escape from poverty? 
And that's where our child sponsorship program, uh, the money from child sponsorship, goes to help us work in the communities that those children uh, live in and to address the causes of their poverty. So, for example, 650 million people in the world don't have access to clean water. And so part of our program would be to help develop clean, safe water sources and sanitation programs so that all the children and the adults who live there uh, have access to clean water because water is so essential to, uh, to a prosperous life. And we address things like health and uh, agriculture and food, uh, safe childbirth, uh, disease management, economic empowerment, education, uh, and, of course, Christian Witness is at the center of our programs as well. Sometimes I ask people to think of a jigsaw puzzle. And, you know, global poverty is a pretty complicated puzzle. It has a lot of different pieces in it. And uh, World Vision's approach is we try to bring all the pieces together in a community. So, you know, again, food, water, um, economic empowerment and opportunity, uh, education, um, spiritual issues, and health. Uh, health is a critical component. And when you bring all the pieces of the puzzle together in the community, uh, things really begin to change and the community starts to progress and do better and local leaders develop. And we like to say that we don't give people handouts. We, we like to give people a hand up uh, because all, all those people need really is an opportunity to uh, let their God-given abilities and gifts uh, flourish. And so we're trying to find ways to help communities flourish. I love that, Rich. Now, I love as, as you're talking about the development side um, that you have this very long-term view. And um, I think this is something that, you know, within churches and mission ministries uh, and those types of organizations, this has been a conversation that, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk around over the last decade or so. And that is this idea of, mm-hmm. of a long-term view rather than just kind of popping in and popping out. Um, you know, and can you talk a little bit about why world vision, um, really focuses in on that long-term view and why, you know, as, as we're thinking about mission work that we might be doing, um, in local, you know, from local churches into, you know, whether it's into areas, uh, within the U S that have great needs or around the world, why we need to kind of think through that long-term view. Well, it's a very critical issue for church missions. Um, and, uh, what we've learned is that communities that are poor, uh, they've been poor for centuries. I mean, this is not uh, something that was just happened suddenly to most communities. And so the causes of that poverty are deeply, deeply ingrained in the community's values and belief systems and behaviors and culture. And, and so solutions to, for poor communities whether they're in the United States or somewhere in Africa, uh, the solutions are also long-term. There are no quick fixes to poverty. And so we've learned that over a number of years, you have to work with the community, addressing all of these underlying causes with the community. And uh, it starts at a values level. What do you believe uh, to be true? Uh, And that includes a a worldview around God and who you are before God, Uh, but also many cultural issues. What are your beliefs about the role of women and girls in your village or in your society? And uh, are you... uh, What is your view of children and uh, and the protection of children? And uh, 
what are your basic views about things like integrity and honesty and uh, honest business dealings and uh, those kinds of things. So you have to deal with it at a values level, but you also have to help the community see that they have within them the God-given abilities to address their own problems. Because you can't solve people's problems for them, but you can help them to solve their own problems. So, for example, um, World Vision, we have many donors and child sponsors, and donors love to see things like water wells and new schools built and brick-and-mortar kinds of things which are very tangible. But it turns out the most important work that we do is what I call the software of our work. And when, when World Vision leaves a community after, let's say, 15 years, mm-hmm. What we leave behind, we leave behind a, a parent-teacher association, uh, parents organized to talk about education to the school system. We leave behind savings groups. We leave behind farmers' cooperatives, women's groups, a water committee, maybe an HIV-AIDS prevention committee. There's a whole structure of local leaders uh, organized around working groups and committees uh, working on the problems that their community struggles with. So now they've they've got the capacity to deal with these problems themselves. They're organized. Leaders have emerged in the community. And the community is actually going to sustain the work after World Vision leaves. So, yes, uh, water wells and schools and those hardware inputs are important, uh, but they're not nearly as important as what goes on between the two ears of the people that live in the community. What are they thinking? How are they working together uh, to solve their own problems? So... The, the net of that is that if you're a pastor or, you know, leading a missions program at your church, uh, I always say go long and go deep. Mm. Um, don't get trapped into the ministry du jour uh, thing where every year you've got a different ministry idea, different ministry partner, and, you know, one year you're in Guatemala, the next year you're in India, the year after that you're in Zambia. Um, these problems take decades to solve, and so a church that is willing to go the long haul, let's say at least 10 years, uh, with a community internationally or even domestically, that's the church that's going to see change. Uh, they're going to see impact. They're going to see uh, that it's possible to change communities for good uh, over the long haul. And so we tend to be, you know, we do short-term missions trips and things like that, uh, we have to remember that uh, however we put together our missions programs, there has to be some consistency and some depth to what we're doing uh, if we really want to see lasting change. These band-aids don't work. You know, you can go to Tijuana and build a house or dig a latrine, but that's a band-aid, and it's not going to bring long-term change to the community. Yeah, I, I love that. I love your your view at World Vision of, you know, that like you said, that lasting transformation that um, you, you come alongside of what God is already doing and and you encourage and empower the people who are there so that really, in a way, it seems, Rich, and correct me if I'm wrong, but almost seems like in, in a way you're kind of working yourselves out of a job. Like, you know, you come alongside, yeah. but the end goal is that it's sustaining that, that lasting transformation when your team is gone and when your participation is is gone, right? Yeah, that's a critical point, Jason, because uh, I like to say World Vision is one of the few organizations that wants to say goodbye. <laughs> right, right. And if, if you look at a lot of ministries and organizations, they stay 
in a particular geography permanently. They're they're there forever, mm. um, and it actually creates kind of a codependency relationship where the community has come to depend on the ministry, and the ministry and its donors have come to depend on the community. And so you get this unhealthy relationship where the community becomes dependent on you. And it's kind of like when we raise our own children, we, at some point we want them to move away from home and become independent, right? <laughs> right, right. We, we, you, know, you joke about changing the locks after they graduate from college <laughs> so they don't come home and live, live with you. But, but there's a real truth to that because uh, our goal should be just like raising our own children. We want them to be fully functioning independent adults. And we want these communities that we work in to be fully functioning communities that are healthy, that no longer need uh, the kind of ongoing uh, care and partnership that our ministry brings. And so what we do at the end of our 15, let's say 15 years on average, we, we hand them the keys and say, you can drive now. We've taught you how to do these mm. things. You, you can do this. And we're going to move up the road 100 miles because there's a community there that is where you were 15 years ago, and we want to build their capacity as well. One of the metaphors I like to use is uh, if, if you're an orchestra conductor, you look out and you see these musicians, and you know that you can bring wonderful music out of these musicians. Well, as, as with a Christian worldview, we look at these communities, wherever they are in the world, and we realize the people who live there are just as gifted and talented as the people in Chicago or uh, Seattle or Atlanta in the United States, right. they just haven't had the opportunities, the training, the educational experiences. So our job is to bring out God's giftedness in that community, bring out the creativity, the entrepreneurship, uh, the, the, the leadership, uh, develop the leaders in that community, because they're just as talented as we are. They just haven't had the opportunity to bring out their giftedness and their talents. So that's a very different view of poverty than a secular organization might have uh, looking at people who are poor, and they would just see deficits, you know. Right. Uh, we see gifts where others see deficits. Man, I, I love that, Rich. That's beautiful. Um, I love, I absolutely love the work that you guys are doing in, in, in just kind of the perspective you have, which you shared. I think that's insightful and hopefully encouraging, maybe even challenging to some of the, the pastors and ministry leaders who are listening today. As you've said, World Vision is one of the world's largest charitable organizations. And for the past 20 years, Rich, you've been leading that organization. Um, and so I imagine over over that time, over a couple of decades, your understanding of leadership has probably grown, has developed. You've learned some things. Can you share with our ministry leaders who are listening in today, um, what are some of the most important leadership lessons that you've learned over your time at World Vision? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to try to do that. I've even thought about writing a, a leadership book when I retire just to kind of capture some ideas. But, you know, first of all, if you're a leader, and most of us are leaders in some dimension of our lives, you know, we may not be the CEO, but we're leading a group or we're a leader in our family or uh, we're leaders in some way. And sometimes it is, I describe leadership is uh, it's like driving a car in a blizzard at night with no headlights and no windshield wipers and you're going <laughs> 75 miles an hour and the people in the back seat are wondering where we're going where are we going and how are we going to get there uh and the leader doesn't have much more information than the people you know <laughs> along for the ride right. in the back seat uh but but somehow you have to navigate that and uh and provide the leadership and 
so, uh, you know, I think just a few basic principles for me is that, number one, as a Christian leader, I've got to keep my eyes on the Lord. I've got to really have that North Star in my life of the truth of Scripture, who Jesus is, and I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus because he's my North Star. He's my compass uh, and the teachings of Scripture, and, and, and those are the foundation for uh, Christian leadership. Uh, number two, I would say a leader has to really cast the vision uh, for those that are following. They have to define reality. And, you know, it's interesting. I've done this in secular jobs. I was the CEO of uh, Parker Brothers Games early in my career, a toy company. I was the CEO of Lennox China, uh, the Fine China and Crystal Company. And then I came to World Vision. But I remember, you know, defining reality. How do you define reality? You look at the world and you look at what's happening in the world or in your sphere of the world. And you develop a kind of a worldview on what is reality, what's really happening here. And um, so, for example, when I was at Parker Brothers in the late 70s, uh, as a young, very young man, I was telling the powers that be at Parker Brothers that someday games are going to be played on video screens. And <laughs> Parker Brothers better transition from cardboard to video if they want to have a future in game playing, and I actually helped get Parker Brothers back in those days into the video game business. We introduced the first Star Wars video games in America. But you see, it was defining reality. It was kind of saying, in the world we live in today, this is what's happening in our category. This is what's happening uh, that impacts our organization, or you could say our church, uh, uh, if you're a pastor. And so you have to kind of define that reality. You've got to read the times and say what's important. Let me give you a World Vision example. So on any given day, there are a thousand things going wrong in the world that World Vision could be engaged with. Mm -hmm. And as a leader of World Vision, I have to kind of look at what's happening in the world and, and create some sense and order out of it. And so back in 2000, 2001, uh, one of the things I sensed was happening that was really a big, big thing in the world was the AIDS pandemic. Um, there were 13 million orphans that had been created in Africa alone because of HIV and AIDS. Mm. A whole generation of young people were dying without medication because they were infected with HIV, and no one seemed to be noticing. I mean, the church was not uh, noticing. Even in Africa, uh, it was stigmatized to a point where people wouldn't want to talk about it, even though everybody saw what was happening. And so I made the decision that HIV and AIDS and the response to it would be our number one priority starting in around 2001. And we took that message to the American church. And at the time, it wasn't a popular message because uh, it was, there was so much stigma surrounding uh, HIV and AIDS at that time. Mm -hmm. But we had to communicate to pastors and church leaders that this is a widow maker. It is leaving women behind with children who are becoming orphans, and if for no other reason, we have to care for widows and orphans in their distress. And so we tried to rally the American church along with other leaders and Christian organizations, and uh, I'm pleased to say that the American church responded in remarkable ways between 2000 and, let's say, 2006. Uh, our government passed the largest uh, foreign assistance program in our history since the Marshall Plan. It was the PEPFAR initiative under President Bush, mm -hmm. uh, AIDS Relief for Africa, and we were able to be influential enough that 
collectively, we turned the tide on the AIDS pandemic in Africa, uh, largely because of a Christian response uh, to the issue. And uh, so that was just one example of trying to read the times and say this may be more significant and more important than the other things that are happening. Uh, more recently, I did that with the refugee crisis uh, that we're seeing around the world and, and trying to rally Americans to care about these refugees and what was happening to them. Um, so that's uh, number two on my list. Uh, two quick ones uh, to give you. Yeah. Uh, as a leader, surround yourself with wise, godly, smart people and give them permission to disagree with you to criticize you. Don't believe your own press clippings. Don't become above the law. Don't become, let's say you're a senior pastor. You know, Make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that will speak the truth and love to you and disagree with you if they think you're going in the wrong direction. Uh, let them hold you accountable because it's so easy for us to believe our own press clippings and to get out of touch uh, with reality. So that's important, uh, accountability issue. And then the last thing, never believe that the outcome of your ministry depends entirely on you. You become kind of this martyr that says, unless I do this, unless I'm at this meeting, unless this happens, it all depends on me and it'll all fall apart without me. Uh, one thing I've learned is that God is at work in our ministry, mm -hmm. as are many other people at work in right. our ministry. And um, God will find a way to accomplish his will, even in our flaws, our mistakes, our failures. God can use those failures. God can use those mistakes. Sometimes I say it this way, you may feel that like you've had a very bad year in your ministry. Maybe you didn't make your budget. You had personnel problems. You had all kinds of conflicts. But you have no idea what God was doing through that mm. and through your organization, even in your very worst year. We, we see through a glass darkly. We only see the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we don't always see what God is doing, despite our mistakes. So just be encouraged that God is using you. If you're being obedient and you're doing your best, you may feel like a failure, but God is using you uh, to do great things. Amen. Now, you're going to be retiring from your role as president of World Vision, and and uh, this has been a role that you've carried out, as we've said, for two decades. Ministry leaders, pastors, they often look back across uh, their time of service. They wonder, what legacy, you know, what, what am I really leaving behind? As, as you find yourself in this season um, preparing to step away from your leadership role at World Vision, what advice do you have for others who— might be soon traveling this same season of life. What have you experienced or what are you experiencing as you are beginning to, to, to kind of wind down your time that might be helpful to others? Well, I think, Jason, the, the first thing that is often hard for a leader is to know when it's time mm. to let go. Yeah. When is your season come to its fullness? And it really is time, time for you. Uh, and maybe your family. Uh, it's time for you to be in a transition uh, for personal reasons, but it's also time for the organization. Uh, it's time for them to have a new leader. And, and I think uh, one of the things I've seen, as I've seen colleagues uh, who are around the same phase of life, is we often have a tendency to cling and to hold on 
maybe beyond the point where it's healthy for us or healthy for the organization. Mm. You know, if you're a leader, you, you, you're so invested in the work that you're doing. You, you, you feel like you've built something, you, you know, you, uh, you, you enjoy your work and, and, and you want to hold on to it. And, uh, and it can be very, very hard to let go, even though it may be the time where God is saying, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran the good race. You fought the good fight. But now I'm calling Joshua, you know, I'm calling someone else, right. uh, maybe to lead the people into the promised land. Uh, so knowing your time, and that, that's kind of a prayerful exercise of when is it right for me? When is it right for the organization? What is God telling me? And, and so, uh, yeah, I guess that's point number one. And I think the greatest legacy that a leader can leave is that he leaves an organization or she leaves an organization that is prepared, it's well-functioning, it's prepared, and it's going to be strong into the future, even when the leader uh, steps down, because there's a great leadership team left behind. So your greatest legacy is what happens a year, two years after you leave. Uh, does the organization get even stronger, which mm. I think is a real tribute to the leader that left, or does the organization fall apart? because the, the departing leader did not leave behind a strong legacy of developing other leaders and preparing the organization for the transition. So I think that's, uh, that's important. And so in my own transition, I let the board know about two years ahead of time. I said, look, my intention is to step down in about two years, and I want to give you every opportunity as a board to do this well. You won't have to worry about wondering when I'm going to leave or, you know, right. feeling that, gee, Rich has uh, gone past his sell-by date. Uh, <laughs> uh, we need to – how do we tell him this? And right. I've seen that go on for five years in an organization where everybody but the leader knows that yeah. it's time for them to step down. And it goes on for five years, and it's very dysfunctional. And <clears throat> so I just got it right out in the open, and I said – this is my timetable. This is why I think it's the right time. And let's work together on the best possible transition. And, um, you know, I said, I want to really be a model for other Christian organizations about how to do this well. And about three years before my retirement, I hired a chief operating officer who came into World Vision, uh, who became a candidate uh, for my job. And I kind of mentored that individual for three years. And when the board did their search, they did a nationwide search. Um, they selected him, mm. and his name is Edgar Sandoval, and he'll take over October 1st uh, from me. So very smooth transition because Edgar has already adapted to the culture of World Vision. He's already been on a learning curve. I've had an opp opportunity to speak into his life for the last three years, and it will be a very smooth transition, I think, for the organization. So plan ahead and work for a smooth transition. And also from a personal standpoint, you have to believe as the departing leader that God is not done with you. There's another chapter. Mm. Um, and that chapter will be a new chapter in your life, a new season in your life. Uh, I keep hearing the phrase, uh, retirement is not a biblical concept. And I agree with that. Um, but that doesn't mean you cling to a particular job until you're 99 years old and they have to pry your bony fingers off of it. <laughs> uh, it may mean that God has a whole new season for you uh, after your active leadership in a particular organization has come to an end. 
And so I'm looking forward to a new chapter uh, in my life where hopefully uh, God has some, some new things he wants to do through me and with me. That's exciting, Rich. I, and I love the balance that, that you bring to that um, because, because there is this kind of self-awareness. I think that's important um, when we're leading an organization or a church or a ministry, like you said. And sometimes it seems people hang on too long because they're um, fearful of that last point you made that um, maybe God is done with me. You know, if, I, if, if I'm not leading this church or this organization, then, you know, it's over for me. Um, you're saying that, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is that there's always that next season in our life until we meet Jesus. Right. So so he always right, I mean, the mission right. doesn't stop. Right. The, the mission of God doesn't stop. So I love that. It's, that's great balance. Yeah. You know, I, I love uh, Rick Warren's book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. The first sentence in his book in chapter one is this. It's not about you. Right. It's not about you. And then he spends the whole book talking about it's about what God is doing in the world and your role in it, you know, but it's not about you. It's not about what you want or your church or your organization. These are God's churches, God's organizations. And, and I think, uh, that's a healthy way to look at leadership that this is, I'm a steward of what God has entrusted to me for a season. And I want to be a faithful steward, but it's not my, it's not my resource. It's not my organization. It's not my vineyard. It's God's vineyard. And he's chosen me to work in it for a season. <clears throat> and so I think that's an important uh, distinction for us to have as leaders. Excellent, excellent. Rich, that's some, some great um, leadership insights there, brother. I certainly appreciate that. But before you go, you have the ear of pastors and ministry leaders uh, literally around the world right now. And you've given your life, last two decades of your life, to, to fighting against poverty and injustices. So what would you like to encourage? What is something practical— that pastors, that churches can do when it comes to, you know, stepping into this fight against poverty and against injustice? Sure. Well, you know, I think I would start at the macro level, and I often find myself reminding pastors and church leaders about the big assignment that Christ gave his church. You know, as uh, people listening are theologically astute and uh, uh, we're all about the business of the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. And I often say Jesus launched a revolution, uh, and the church was intended to carry out the revolution. And that revolution was essentially to win the world for Christ, and not just evangelism, which is you know the Great Commission, but you know we're called into the world. I mentioned we're like the world's firefighters. We're called into the brokenness of our world. Uh, we're called to be redeemers and reformers and repairers and uh, reconcilers, you know, broken relationships, broken institutions, uh, broken families. And so the coming of the kingdom of God is about the Church of Jesus Christ going into the brokenness of the world uh, with the redemptive message of the gospel uh, to heal the brokenness that we find in so many places in our world. And so that is the one job of the church, right? To, to go into the world as Christ's ambassadors, to, to do these things. Right. And so poverty and justice is a subset of that big job, you know, because poverty is about brokenness. It's about human brokenness. Injustice is about brokenness, uh, broken relationships and broken human beings, uh, uh, treating one another poorly. And so as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we go into that brokenness. So we go into the 
the poor areas of our country, our community. We go into the problem of homelessness. We uh, we go into the brokenness of our school systems, and uh, uh, and and we're the people that Christ has sent to be uh, the redeemers, you know, on, on His behalf. Uh, so, if that's the job of your church, if that's the main job of your ministry, uh, then the pastor has to disciple and lead his or her congregation in such a way that he's preparing uh, those disciples to join the revolution, uh, to join the revolution, mm-hmm. and to go out into the world because they have unique access. Uh, they might be in academia, they might be in the marketplace, uh, they might be in politics, but those disciples then go out and join the revolution to try to win that world for, for Christ. So I, I think that's uh, the big vision that I hope every pastor has as they lead and disciple their congregation. And when you keep that big vision in mind, you, you try to prevent yourself from being sidetracked by all of the right. countless things that come across your desk every day that can distract you from the main thing. You know, Stephen Covey, the famous business writer, had a great sentence. He said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> And uh, in our churches, the main thing is Christ's assignment to change the world, to build disciples, make disciples who would change the world, uh, and, and, and win it for him. And so as pastors think about doing that, how do you take a comfortable American congregation and expose them to some of the brokenness of, you know, the developing world and the refugee crisis and hunger and famine and people without clean water and human trafficking and you know there are terrible terrible things happening in our world and yet our churches are called to be part of the solution to those problems and so you have to speak about these things in your churches you have to speak about them from the pulpit uh... you you can't plug your ears and close your eyes to what's happening in the world or in your community so how do you do that? Well, you know, World Vision is always trying to come alongside churches and pastors to help them in this discipleship journey. How can we help you engage your congregation in some of these issues? And uh, let me just mention one program. Certainly child sponsorship is a program that helps do that, because when you get to know a little boy or a little girl in a poor country, and you can pray for that child, and your children can pray for that child, that's one way of giving your congregation a glimpse into poverty and injustice in our world. But we've got a a newer program we call the Matthew 25 Challenge, which I really love. You know, Matthew 25 is that wonderful passage where Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was sick and you visited me and cared for me. And he goes on to say, whatever you've done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it to me. And it's probably the most profound statement our Lord makes about his love for the poor, his concern for the poor. And so the Matthew 25 challenge is something we offer to churches where you started on a Sunday and you ask people to take out their smartphones. Probably they've already got them out anyways while you're preaching. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and you sign up, you, you send a text message to World Vision with a certain number and you register for the Matthew 25 challenge. And Right away, you get a confirmation, and then every day for the next six days, you get a daily challenge. You get some daily videos, short videos you can watch. You get some daily scriptures to read and reflect on. But one of the challenges is to uh, skip a meal one day, to identify with the phrase, I was hungry. 
Uh, one of the challenges is on a particular day, you drink only water, no coffee, no soda, no fruit juice, only water, helping you realize how important water is. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. Uh, one night, and this is uh, fun uh, for families, you, you have to sleep on the floor in your home. Your whole family has to sleep on the floor and you're identifying with what it feels like to be a refugee or to maybe live in a mud hut where you don't have a bed or a mattress. And by the end of the week, uh, you have a real understanding in a visceral way of what it might feel like to be deprived or to be poor. And then that following Sunday, the pastor uh, brings a message on Matthew 25, and maybe there's a sponsorship Sunday where you have an opportunity to actually put what you've learned into action. So it's a Matthew 25 challenge. Uh, you can find it on our website at worldvision.org slash Matthew 25. And we provide everything a church needs, including sermon notes, if the pastor wants that. And at the end of that time, uh, you've helped your congregation understand a little bit of what it feels like to be one of the least of these in our world. That's excellent, Rich. I love it because it's experiential. So the whole family can get involved. Um, you know, the whole church gets involved. Families get involved. And uh, really, really helps open some eyes to the challenges that people are facing all around the world. So awesome. We'll, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So if you guys want to, to learn more and you didn't get that, you can check out our show notes and, and we'll have a link to that. Um, super exciting. Rich, I just want to tell you, it's, it's been an absolute honor and privilege to have you with us on the Church Leaders Podcast. Your leadership over the last uh, two decades at World Vision has had a massive impact on the kingdom, and uh, we're so appreciative, uh, me on a personal level, and, and then our entire organization here for all that you've done for the kingdom, for speaking into the lives of our pastors and ministry leaders, and um, for continuing to encourage people um, to live out uh, Matthew 25 and what that means for us as Christ followers. So thank you for your time with us, brother. Certainly appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Jason. It's been great to be with you today. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.